This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Now for our lesson. When Pastor texted me and asked me if I would speak for him tonight, immediately, almost immediately, a scripture popped in my spirit. And it was really just part of a scripture. And it was, uh, it's found, I'm going to read you two verses, and it was the second of these two verses. Mark 11:24 is the scripture that popped in my spirit. But I want to read to you Mark 11:23 and 24 as we began this evening. So if you'll put that up, Carrie, thank you. Mark 11, 23, and 24. Assuredly, this is Jesus talking. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Notice how many times it says says. I say to you, whoever says, that's two, be removed, cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says, that's number three, he will have whatever he says. Four times in one sentence, that word. It's about your conversation. Therefore, because of that, because of the power of that, therefore I say to you, now this is what the Lord said to me, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's the verse the Lord dropped in my heart to talk to you about tonight. And as I prayed over it, and as I sat down at my computer and I opened my Bible and I began to seek the Lord about what, what is it that you're wanting to say to us? He impressed me to go back to the first of that chapter because it's very important if you're going to receive something from the Lord from a scripture that you get it in context. You can get the Bible to say just about anything if you just jerk things out of context. But if you keep the Word of God in context, you will always get the truth of the Word of God. So I went back to the first, and we won't go through all of that. But to understand these verses, we have to get them in context. This chapter begins with the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We call that Palm Sunday in the church. It's where he went in and he got on the little colt that had never been ridden. And as they rode him through town, people threw their coats on the street and they threw palms and they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, it was a glorious day. It was just a great day. And, at the, and from that, he went on to the temple. Now, some of the, some of the books of the Bible say that uh, part of this happened that day. But in Mark, it says that they went home that night they slept. The next morning, they got up and they went back to the temple. And that's where our story that I want to share begins in verse 12. In verse 12, it says this. Now, the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Obviously, they didn't have time for breakfast. So he's hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not yet the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to the tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, that is a really important verse from what the Lord wanted me to share with you about these verses. And so, actually, I named this the heart-mouth connection, but really, I could have named it all about fig trees and mountains. Because really, the Lord has something to say to us about fig trees and mountains. You know, everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, 
when he was on the earth, had a purpose and a meaning. My first thought was he was really having a bad day. I mean, you know, he walks up to this fig tree, and there have been all sorts of sermons preached about why Jesus cursed this fig tree. One of the ladies in my Bible study and I were talking about this today, and she said, you know, I was once taught that he, he cursed that fig tree, and it represented those of us who don't, are not bearing fruit because it wasn't bearing fruit. Well, it wasn't even the season for fruit. So I don't know whether, you know, I, don't, I, I really don't think that was, when we get to heaven, let's ask him. In the meantime, he really did give me an insight that I want to share with you a little later in the teaching. So he's having kind of a bad day. No breakfast. He might have been a little hangry. Do you think Jesus could have possibly gotten hangry? Oh, well, he, he cursed the fig tree. And that isn't all he did. Let's read on. So when they came to Jerusalem, then Jesus went into the temple. Look what he did in the temple. He began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, it is, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. One of the, uh, one of the gospels says he had a little whip. I don't know where he got that little whip. I don't know whether one of the disciples said, hey, while you're turning over tables, you want this whip? I don't know. I don't know. But, but it seems like he was having a bad day, doesn't it? Well, he said some real important things here. He said this. He talked about his house. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I'm really going somewhere with this, so stay with me. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, he was in the temple. But really... When Jesus came to the earth, the temple, the temple there in Jerusalem was very important. The temple in Jerusalem was considered the dwelling place of God on earth. I don't know if you knew that, but the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was, and, Ark, and the Lord dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant. That's where they brought the blood sacrifices. That had always been the dwelling place of God on the earth. From the time it was in a tent to the time the temple was built, Solomon built the temple, and when Jesus was on the earth, he made this wild statement. He said, destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. And the people around him said, are you crazy? It took years to build this temple. You think you're going to rebuild it in three days? The scripture says he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. You know what he was saying to them? Do you have any idea what he was saying to them? The dwelling place of God on earth has moved. God is no longer in that temple. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the temple of God. God Almighty dwells in me. And you can destroy this temple, but in three days, I'll be back. Now, why is that important? Well, because in Corinthians, we are told, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know, do you not understand that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Now, that's not the only scripture that tells us when Jesus left the earth, the last thing he said to his disciples, I want you to go. I want you to wait in the upper room. I don't want you to leave there until the promise comes, until you're endued with power from on high. What was he talking about? 
He was talking about the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, part of God, came and began to dwell in men. Now, isn't that wonderful? We became the dwelling place of God on earth. We became the house of God. We became the temple of God. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he didn't just write your name in a little book and say, well, you're a human being, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. No, he said, ha, ha, I'm going to make you my dwelling place. I'm going to come and dwell in you. I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. Well, Pastor talked about that for 12 weeks, so I won't say any more about it. It was good, wasn't it? But this is what he said. He said, my house, say, that's me. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Wow. Not a house of foolishness. Not a house of immorality. A house of prayer. We should be filled with prayer. And so what I'm teaching you tonight has to do with prayer. It has to do with prayer. Now, let's go on. And uh, where was I? My house shall be called a house of prayer. He was saying that his house would be filled with prayer. And we are the temple of God. We also should be filled with prayer. You know, the Bible says in, in a, uh, the New Testament, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Be ever ready to pray. Be ever ready to communicate with God. Communicate with God constantly. Talk to him constantly. Even if people think you're crazy. Verse 20. Now, the next morning, okay, so that's the bad day. He couldn't find anything to eat on the fig tree. He cursed it. He went into the temple. They were doing things they shouldn't do in the temple. He had to drive them out. Not a really good day. The next day, the next morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree, and it was dried up from the roots. I mean, that tree was D-E-A-D dead. It was dead. And good old Peter, you could always depend on Peter to talk when he shouldn't talk. And if nobody else was going to say a word, Peter would ask the question. I think they probably would punch him at times because they knew how he was. If they wanted to know something, they'd punch Peter. Ask him, Peter, ask him. Well, they didn't have to punch him. He was so curious. And so Peter, remembering what Jesus had said to that tree, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus, I'm sure, looked at him like, what did you expect? Didn't I curse it? <laughs> I think he was also asking him this. How did you do that? It's impossible for a tree to dry up and die completely. I mean, it might have been wilted the next day if it was in process of dying. Maybe the figs could have fallen off. But this thing was dead, y'all. It was dead, completely dead from the root out. <clears throat> so Jesus answered him. Now, you know, if we just went around the room not looking at our Bibles to try to decide, I wonder what Jesus said. Well, he could have said, now, Peter, you heard me curse that tree. That's not what he said. Listen to what he said. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Okay, great. But what happened to the fig tree? And then he goes on. It gets even better. I mean, he, he asked about the fig tree. Say, fig tree. And first Jesus says, have the faith of God. <clears throat> Jesus was using, I will tell you this much, he was using the fig tree as an as a object lesson for them to teach them something. 
He wanted to teach them how to pray with faith. But for Jesus, God incarnate, to turn to me and say, I want you to have the same kind of faith I have. I want you to have the faith of God. Some people say the God kind of faith. Well, the God kind of faith created the heavens and the earth. My faith, I don't think it's that good. But I'm supposed to be working on building inside myself the same kind of faith God used to create the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to illustrate to them what that faith looks like. Mark eleven twenty three. here we are. We're back to our verses. Assuredly, now remember, he's talking about that fig tree. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, what? I thought we were talking about a fig tree, Lord. What? A fig tree, mountain, mountain fig tree. He didn't stop. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, now whenever you find the word therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and find out what it's there for. So before you read the rest of this, you need to go back and read again. He's talking about moving mountains. He's talking about cursing fig trees. He uses the mountain rather than a fig tree to illustrate his point for a purpose. He wants them to understand that the fig tree dying within 24 hours completely was a miracle. It was impossible in the natural for that tree to die that fast. And he wanted to make them sure that they understood when he was talking about miracles, he thought, I'm going to give them something even bigger than a fig tree to think about. So I think there may have been a mountain hanging around somewhere that they could have seen. And he starts talking about moving mountains. Now, we don't live around mountains. So we don't understand how difficult it would be to move a mountain. But think about you as an individual the biggest mountain you've ever seen. Art and I lived in Colorado for a while, so I've seen some pretty big mountains. And we went to Big Bend for our vacation a few weeks ago, and there's some pretty big mountains there. I can't imagine moving one. Can you? Mountains and fig trees represent impossible situations. God is talking to us. Jesus is talking to us about the kind of faith that can bring you a miracle. Anybody here got a mountain? Anybody here got a fig tree that's bothering them? Something that's not productive? Something that's not fruitful? The mountain is something in your way? This scripture is about miracles. A miracle is a supernatural intervention of God. There are some things in your life that only God can do. There are some things we face that only God can help us through. And this scripture tells us how. You know, I gave you a conditional uh, stewardship, two things you had to do in order to inherit uh, the, the fruitful living. And this particular scripture is the same type of scripture. It gives us some conditions for receiving the kind of faith and how that kind of faith operates so we can see our mountains move, so we can see our fig trees dry up. I don't want my fig tree to dry up. I have a little fig tree. I want it to have figs. <laughs> now, let me tell you this about miracles. The first ingredient for a miracle 
is a mountain, an impossible situation. You'll never have a miracle in your life till you have an impossible situation. So every time you face an impossible situation, you need to stop and you need to say, Father, this is a great opportunity for a miracle. This is a great opportunity for you to show your power in my life. That's what you need. Instead of saying, oh, no, what am I going to do? I'm going to die. This will never work. No, no, you need to stop and say, thank you, Lord. This is a great opportunity for you to manifest your power in my life and for people to see the glory of God when you turn this around. And I can tell you he will turn it around. I can testify that he has turned it around many times in my life. So let's talk at the conditions for moving mountains. Here's the first one. Whoever shall speak to this mountain, you got to speak to your situation. Not about it, not whoever talks about the mountain. No, whoever, you must speak to your situation. Well, I talk to people, I don't talk to situations. Hey, I talk to situations. And sometimes I talk to the devil. I only talk to him to tell him to shut up and get out. I don't have long conversations with him. I sometimes say, get your hands off of me. This is unlawful. Because there are certain things that are unlawful. And the Bible says if there's anything unlawful happening, something that wouldn't be happening in heaven that's happening on earth, I can say no to that thing. I can cast it down. I can command it to go if it's unlawful. And so here he says, I have to speak to your mountain. You must speak to your mountain. Now here's the question, what do we speak? Well, he, he says here, you have to tell it to move. You have to tell it to go to the sea. And, but, but there's another place in the Bible. This place is in the Old Testament. It's in Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7, there's a, a neat little verse, and this is to Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, let me tell you who he was before I quote the scripture to you. Zerubbabel was the governor in the Old Testament when Israel was coming out of captivity and they were going back to their land and they were building the temple. And Zerubbabel was the guy who was given the responsibility of rebuilding the temple and he was having a really hard time doing it. So Zechariah the prophet prophesies to him and listen to what he says. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth, i got to read it up here, he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, you know why I love that? Because of the word grace. In the old covenant, Jesus hadn't come yet. We weren't in the dispensation of grace. But even then, you could call for grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Maybe you don't deserve it. Maybe, you know, some of you are sitting in here, and I know you're saying, I really need God to deliver me, but I don't deserve it. It doesn't matter. Grace is God's unmerited favor. He wants to give you the desire of your heart. Previously, before this scripture, there's another scripture where the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel. And this is what the word of the Lord said to Zerubbabel. And it's something we need to remember too when we're looking at those mountains that need to move in our life. This is what he said to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, it will not be by your might. It will not be by your power. It will be by the Spirit of the Lord. You will rebuild the temple, but it won't be by your own might. And it won't be by your own power. It'll be by the Spirit of the Lord. When you get that clear in your mind, 
that you don't have to figure it out. All you have to do is trust God. All you have to do is speak to that mountain. All you have to do is speak to your own self. And, and then you have, it goes on to tell us what else we have to do. So we have to speak grace, God's favor, grace, undeserved favor. And I like this. Somebody once gave me this definition of faith. Faith is God's advantage for success. God will give you an advantage for success, and it's called grace. Here's the second thing. So the first thing is you've got to speak to the mountain. Here's the second thing. You must handle the doubt in your heart. Now, how do we handle the doubt in our heart? I'm telling you, it, sometimes it's really difficult to handle the doubt in your heart. I mean, you, you say, I know that the Bible says God's going to bless me. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by spirit. But look at my bank account. My bank account says I'm in big trouble. Yeah, your bank account's talking to you. You need to talk to your bank account. You need to do that. you got to handle your doubt. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We have to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. According to what is written. Oh, wait, I skipped, I skipped down to the next verse. Against the knowledge of God. And we have to bring every thought into captivity. Whatever you're thinking will come out your mouth. I, I just thought I'd tell you that. Whatever you're thinking will come out of your mouth. And so you, you've got to cast that doubt down. You, you don't want to be a double-minded man. You want, to, you want to have a single purpose in your life. And the purpose is the... And some of you get so irritated at us for hounding you all the time about reading the Bible. Read 345 with us. Just read 345. Just go to ark.info and read 345. Listen, I'd like for you to get a Bible. A bi this is a Bible. Uh, some of you don't know what it is. It's not your phone. This is a Bible. And you know why you need to get a Bible? Because you can mark in a Bible. I love my Bible. It tells me who I am in Christ Jesus. It tells me what I have through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it tells me what I can do. And the more of this you get down inside you, the less doubt you'll have about the Word of God. If God said it, if it's in the Bible, I can have it. I can have it. Here's the third thing. You got to believe. You got to believe. This is called the heart mouth connection. You got to speak. You must not doubt. You must believe. 2 Corinthians 4.13, I love this verse. We have the same spirit of faith. That means life-giving force. Spirit is a life-giving force. So we have this life-giving force in our faith. That life-giving force, according to what is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoke. I've spoken. I believe and so I speak. I get the word in me. I find the scripture that goes with my need. I, go, I get the scripture that promises that God will move my mountain. And I begin to speak it. Mouth, heart, connection. From the moment you believe, the mouth, heart, connection has to operate for you to be successful. Romans 10, 9, and 10, those are those wonderful salvation scriptures. Listen to them. It's, it says this, if you confess with your mouth, that's speaking, isn't it? And believe in your heart, there's the believing part, that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe unto righteousness, and with your mouth confession is made unto salvation. The heart-mouth connection. Listen to our text one more time. 
I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come, be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, whatever things you ask, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. The heart-mouth connection is important. It is so important. You know, have you ever wondered what was in your heart? Jesus made the statement in Matthew, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. If you've ever wondered what's in your heart, I can tell you how to find out. Can you guess how to find out? Listen to what you're saying. Because whatever your heart is filled up with will come out your mouth. If your heart is full of anger, you'll say angry words. If your heart is full of bitterness, you'll be bitter. If your heart is full of joy, you'll be joyful. If your heart is full of peace, peace will come out your mouth. If your heart is full of faith, if you're believing God, faith words will come out your mouth. You have a choice. You have a choice. The heart-mind connection. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. According to what Jesus taught, you can bring to pass anything you say and believe in your heart. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. If you believe and you don't doubt, James, here's the reason you can't doubt. James 1, 6, and 8 says this. We have to ask in faith when we're praying. No doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the winds. That means change their mind every five minutes. One minute, I'm believing Jesus for my healing. The next minute, I feel so bad. I don't know if I'm going to make it through another day. No, I believe in Jesus for my healing. Oh, but the doctor says, I'll probably have this the rest of my life. But I believe in Jesus for my healing. No, no, quit being double-minded. Quit drifting around. In fact, this says you'll get unstable if you do that. Let not that man suppose he's going to receive anything from God. Oh, my goodness. Watch your mouth. Turn to your neighbor and say, watch your mouth. <laughs> because he's double-minded and he's unstable in all his ways. Make up your mind what you believe. Make up your mind what you desire. If you're a couple, make up your mind together what you're believing God for. Make a pact together that if one of you starts talking negative about what you're believing for, the other one will stop them. And you'll get back on track. It's easy to get off track. Listen, the devil knows how powerful this is. He uses the mind and the mouth connection all the time. He tells you you're worthless and you get it in your own mouth. I'm just worthless. You can't do anything. I just can't do anything. Nobody likes you. You know, nobody likes me. Are you kidding me? The next time the devil says you're worthless, you need to say this instead. You need to grin and say, God loves me. I'm a precious treasure. I'm worth, I'm worth everything to the Lord. He died for me. If I'd been the only human on the earth, he would have gone to the cross just for me. You need to not let the enemy do that to you because he can destroy and steal your blessing from you with the same connection that God uses to bring your blessing to the earth. So you got to do that. Well, create, creative power is released when your heart and mouth get in agreement. So watch your mountain. Watch your mountain. Make up your mind. You're going to speak to that mountain. You're going to speak grace, and you're going to see God move that mountain into the sea and bring blessings into your life. Did this bless you? There may be somebody. Yeah, go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap. 
you got to learn to say and pray the power of God into our situations. There may be somebody here tonight that's never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Let's just bow our heads for a minute. And if that's you, you're here and you say, wow, I'd really like for God to begin to work in my life like that. Well, the first thing you've got to do is confess him with your mouth as Savior. And we're here to help you do that. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, just slip your hand in the air and I'll pray with you tonight. All over the building. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? We're going to pray with you. Now, you may be here and you say, Billy, I, I know that I'm born again. I've received the Lord as my Savior. But I need to rededicate my life tonight. I certainly have not been serving him as I should. And I'd like for you to pray for me. And I'd like to pray that prayer with you. So slip your hand up if that's you. You want to rededicate your life. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise the Lord. We're just going to pray this simple prayer. We're not going to make you come forward. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you can pray this prayer anyway. God's listening. He's listening right now. So let's pray together. Pray after me. Dear God, I, I know that mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, as the one who, who forgives me and who redeems me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven, and I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, Father, I pray over everyone in this building. I pray that you will anoint us with a special anointing of power and boldness, that when we face a mountain, that we will not be overcome with fear or the feeling of helplessness, but we will get the word of God in our mouth and we will speak to our mountain and we will believe and not doubt and we will watch you do miracles. I'm listening, Lord, for new things from new people as they come into our church and those of us that are in this building, I'm listening, Lord, for reports of miracles in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.